And to be honest with you, a lot of times, you know, you asked about that first conversation. It typically looks like this. I'll say things like, I cannot even believe that you're having to deal with this. I cannot, I just don't understand. It sucks. It is awful. I just don't get it. I mean, I, because people always ask me, what do you say? I'm like, that's what I say. And then their walls come down because they, you're meeting them in a place that's ugly and it's, it's not pretty and they, they're embarrassed. They finally can say to themselves, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. I'm not embarrassed. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Difficult Conversations. I'm so excited today because I get to introduce to you a truly amazing and inspiring person. You know, when I decided to launch this podcast, Noel was one of the first people that I called to be a guest. After this episode and listening to what Noel has to say, I promise you that her story will move you emotionally and inspire you to turn your own tragedy into something good. If anyone can speak about difficult conversations and how they affect our lives, both in a positive and negative manner, it is Noel. You know, I'm so excited that I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit of myself here. So let me introduce Noel properly. Noel is a lifelong Central Floridian, flow grown, as they say here in Florida. She attended the prestigious Rollins College located right in her hometown of Winter Park. At Rollins, she earned her degree in marketing and communication, and she later returned to Rollins to receive her certificate of nonprofit management. After experiencing the loss of her precious baby Finley in 2013, Noelle was forced to deal with the tragedy few people could ever imagine, but somehow she was able to come out on the other side of darkness, and later that year, she started the nonprofit organization, The Finley Project. The Finley Project is the nation's only seven-part holistic program for mothers that experience infant loss. It has served nationwide hundreds of families and represents 28 states and 78 hospitals around the country. The Finley Project is a founding member of the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Resource Network of Central Florida and also participates in the national organization, Pregnancy Loss and Infant Death Alliance. Noel serves as a grief share facilitator and Breaking Bad News instructor for the Orsini Way. And if that's not enough, Noelle seems to find the time to become involved in her community. Noelle is a board member of the Winter Park YMCA and is a member of the Association for Fundraising Professionals and an active member of the Winter Park Chamber of Commerce, as well as the Rotary Club of Lake Mary. Noelle was awarded the Paul Hawkins Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019 and led the Finley Project to win the 2017 and 2018 Winter Park Chamber of Commerce Ovations Award. In April 2020, Noelle was awarded the Orlando Family Magazine Top 15 Super Women Award. Well, that's pretty incredible. Noelle doesn't move far. She now resides in Maitland, Florida, just about five miles from where she grew up. She loves the beach, working out, and serving families who have experienced infant loss. 
That is quite an introduction, Noel. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. What an introduction. That's pretty awesome. Well, you deserve it. I mean, I I don't know. My introduction would probably be about one third of that. So <laughs> you've had quite accomplishments and all since 2013. But I mean, it's amazing. So you've spent your whole life in Florida, huh? Never moved out? No, I've actually moved quite a, around quite a bit. I landed here about seven years ago and I was out on the West Coast in San Diego and then went up to the mountains of North Carolina and then ventured back down. So oh, so you're back. And uh, I didn't know all that because I met Noel and full disclosure, Noel is a good friend of mine. We met, I guess, in 2015. I was doing Breaking Bad News programs in six or seven states when I moved from New Jersey to Florida. And I wanted to bring the Breaking Bad News program to Orlando Health. In the Breaking Bad News program, for those of you who don't know, we teach physicians how to discuss tragic news with patients and families. And we use improvisational role-playing with professional actors. They're videotaped. And then after the videotape improvisational role-playing, the physicians get to come into a room, review the videotape with instructors, both from the Orsini way. But a key component of the Breaking Bad News video is that we use instructors that are non-medical. So the physicians not only get to hear some communication tips from medical instructors, but from lay people who've experienced tragedy themselves. So one of the first things I did when I got to Orlando is I said, hey, I want to bring Breaking Bad News here. You know, who do you think would be a great instructor? And of course, Noel's name came up first. I think we met in a little small conference room and uh, the rest is history. Noelle's been a good friend of mine. She's always available when we teach. And I think at the end of this podcast, you are going to be pretty inspired. So that's how Noelle and I met and I'm so excited. So Noelle, I just want you to tell everybody your story because it is quite a story and it's moved me and it still touches me every time I hear it. Tell me about 2013 and Finley and just let them know the story that I know. Absolutely. So kudos to Dr. Orsini or Tony, just for all the work that he's doing, honestly, and the fact that he's asked me just to share my story today, because really it's, it's a hard one. And for those that are listening, I would say kind of prepare yourself, embrace yourself, because what I went through, I pray and hope that nobody ever has to go through. but. Basically, in 2013, you know, I was just a young professional, like looking to live my best life and be successful and have a great career. But I was pregnant at that time, which I was super excited about, always wanted to be a mom and just so excited to have this little girl. And her name is Finley. But in 2013, February, my dad passed away. And that was my first encounter with grief of someone close to me. And I just didn't know how you grieve. I was never around grieving people. I was never taught the skills really to grieve. And I felt, I felt really blindsided with the fact that the first person close to me to really die was my dad. And, but the crazy part was at that time I was pregnant. So I felt like I saw like the full circle of life. Like here's the end of an error. However, here's the beautiful beginning of something new. And four months later in July, I was full term and I was admitted into a local hospital and all the fabulous things that occur the day a woman goes in to deliver a baby and everybody was happy and we were celebrating and the induction process started and 
after approximately 24 hours, there were some physicians, OBs that made a decision that ultimately changed my life and they left the property. And shortly thereafter, my daughter Finley needed to come out and I was rushed into the OR for an emergency C-section. And this is just the part of my story that I think is very, very difficult. I think it's what helps me connect with other people. But basically, she needed to come out and there was no one there. And there was no one there for a long time to do a C-section. And there was a lot of trauma that happened at that time and the things I saw. And eventually, after 40 minutes, uh, OB got there and did the emergency C-section and got her out. And she was lifeless and pale and just the most horrific thing I think a mother could see. And they resuscitated her and put her on life support. And that moment was started this journey of all the stuff that I'll describe later. But, you know, seeing your daughter on life support and just not looking how she should is just absolutely devastating. No one prepares you for that. Just that, even that visual. But after 23 days and multiple EEGs and just different tests and whatnot, the doctors had to tell me that she will never walk or talk or know me. And as her parents, we had to make a horrific, but I guess now a selfless decision. And that was to remove her from life support. So yeah, that was in 2013. And and then part of my story that sometimes I don't share, and I think it's really important. I think it'll be a really important part of this conversation. Two weeks after she died, my husband made a choice to leave. And what ensued six months later was a divorce. And, you know, it's just all of those things combined make for a really, really difficult journey. But once again, I'm here today to help educate and help people know how to navigate some of these hard conversations. I could still, after these years, and again, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a child, but I could just hear the tone of your voice just telling the story after so many years. And I'm sure you've told the story many, many times. So take us back, if you will, to the first conversation that you had with a physician or maybe the first physician that told you how sick Finley was, as we say, the first physician that broke bad news to you. And we know that parents and family members understand and remember every aspect of it. So if you will, just take the uh, audience back to that time. You know, when I think about breaking bad news, I actually think about Gradual can happen in different ways, right? It actually can happen within a a span of a a few minutes, but it actually can happen in a span of a few days or weeks. And for me, that gradual was really important in the life, the little life of my daughter. And I think planting the seeds early on, actually, just in thinking of this, the fact that the doctors planted the seeds early on and were very careful because they wanted to keep that hope alive. But behind the scenes, they all knew that she wasn't going to bounce back and that there was no cure for what happened to her. So when they would say things like, you know, you can be her mom and, you know, we want you to give her a bath and be there with her. But, you know, it's just she's struggling. Like she's having a really difficult time without this oxygen. And then maybe I remember like a week later, the tone started to change of their approach with her condition. You know, things aren't looking good. This last EEG was not good, you know, but, you know, you can continue to spend time with her, et cetera. And then the third week, it got to the point where 
you know, it was serious. And, and you could tell by their tone and, and the words that they were using that something had to give. And, you know, I can elaborate more about the two conversations that like went well, or I felt helped me in, in that process. And then I can share with you about the one that was different. But I remember the first EEG we did, we committed to doing three. And then after that, we kind of knew we had to do something. But I remember standing in this dark NICU pod and a neurologist, I think it's who it was. I don't even remember who it was. That's, that's how devastating it was. I had a person tell me news that changed my life forever. And I don't even know who they are. I mean, I, the thought of that is just, it's terrible. But I was standing there and looking at my daughter and somebody walked up and introduced themselves. I don't know their name. And basically said, I'm looking at her results and there's no brain activity. And she's dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here you are looking at a 10 pound baby with every finger and every toe. And that just doesn't, it just doesn't connect. You're, the human brain is not able to absorb such an abrupt message, you know? And I remember that day was probably the worst day for me. The way that she said it and how she said it, and, and I had no rapport with this person. I, I, I honestly, in that, that moment, everything flashed before me. And I just, I wanted out. I remember saying, I need out. And I went out on the garage, parking garage of that hospital. And I just, I wanted to run. Like, I just wanted to run. The information was so just smack dab in my face that I, I, my, my brain couldn't process it. And so over the next few days and whatnot, after some different conversations, we kind of fell into some peace and just tried to enjoy our time with her. And then I had a, a neonatologist actually. And I remember where I was sitting. I can remember the way the chair was facing. I can remember how small the room was. I remember the smell of the hand soap on the wall. And I was just sitting in this small room. It was actually a lactation room just for some peace. And this particular neonatologist found me in there. And he said, can I talk to you? And he knelt down next to my chair. And he said, you know, I love Finley. I love your family. And he started to cry. And I remember his tears were dropping on his khaki pants. And he had just shared with me that, you know, I know you love her, but you know, she, she will never, will never walk or talk. And I know that you would want her to have a great life and that you would want the best for her and you wouldn't want her to be in any pain or suffer. And so, you know, one of the most selfless, he used the word selfless things you can do as her mommy is to let her go. And the tone, the trust that I had built with him the rapport that we had, I believed him and I believed his words and the support that I felt from him ultimately is what allowed us to take our off of life support. So two polar opposite ways of sharing horrific news. The first making me honestly wanting to leave this earth. The second empowering me and allowing me to make the worst decision of my life. I am an emotional tie-in person. And so even after all these years, I still get tears in my eyes when I hear that story. As a neonatologist, I've had that conversation with parents more than once. It never gets easy. But as I said in my first episode, 
these conversations affect you either in a positive or a negative manner. So you don't even remember that first doctor's name, but I'll bet you remember the second one. Am I allowed yeah. to say it? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure, so we yeah. won't. But all I can say is that there was a doctor that was there. And for whatever reason, he showed his compassion. And we all have compassion. But I think some of us either push it down, thinking that we're protecting ourselves. But telling someone bad news, whether it's in medicine or in business, if you're firing someone or Whatever it is, is a skill. And, and if you do it right, it's a gift. And I learned that from you and I learned that from other mothers and, and other patients. And what do you think, if you had that first doctor in the room with you right now, and you weren't allowed to hit her, <laughs> but if you had that first doctor in the room right now, let's say you and I were doing Breaking Bad News together and she was one of the participants. And what advice would you say to her in comparison to the second doctor as far as this is how you have a difficult conversation? And I don't mean like by the book, but what would you say from your heart is if you had just done this or if you had just thought of this, what, what would be your advice to her? I think, I think for her, it would have been setting the stage to know that something was about to be said. That would be my number one thing. Breaking bad news, like she did standing up in the middle of a room. I had no idea it was coming. So I think first for her would be say like, you know, can we step aside and talk? And then secondly would be to build that instant rapport would be, you know, sitting across from me like chair to chair and just making eye contact and not being afraid of that conversation. So for me, what eye contact would say would be, I'm not afraid of this conversation. I need to say it, but I need to say it with compassion. So I would say that's the second thing. And then I think the third thing would just be allowing me the space to just process like in that moment, like just if I cried or I yelled or whatever, I had nowhere to go. I felt trapped. I felt when she hit me with that, I didn't even, I didn't know what to do. So I would certainly say setting the tone, bringing me somewhere separate or making sure I'm sitting down. The second thing would be to make eye contact and, you know, lean into the conversation. And the third would be just allowing me that space to grieve. Yeah. You know, I think that as human beings, no one wants to make someone sad and we're uncomfortable in certain situations, especially when we're not trained. And I've said this before, human beings are compassionate people. Physicians and nurses are compassionate people. But we get in these situations where we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to help. And we feel like I just got to get it over with, you know. And, you know, when I go around teaching communication to physicians or business leaders, once you explain to them that communicating is, especially during difficult conversation, it's a skill and you should be really proud of it. That second doctor and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I'm sure you would agree. But that second doctor gave you a gift, right? It was a gift of compassion. And, you know, you said at one point, you, so you remember the tears hitting his khakis. And I think that's, if we can think about difficult conversation as a skill, this is how you do it. I'm really good at it. And I want to be good at it because I want to help people. And 
we won't rush through it then. And I think that's what this podcast is all about. It's about understanding how we communicate. It's understanding the verbal, nonverbal communications, you know, even something like silence, right? I mean, you and I talk to physicians all the time about this. You know, sitting there silently shows that you care, even if you don't say anything. You know, uh, I always quote during my lectures, Rabbi Kushner, who wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. He's got a quote in there. He said, if you don't know what to say, just say you're sorry and then shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, and we teach that all the time, right? You know what? Noel and I teach that all the time. Like, just saying you're sorry and sitting there with the person and being there and looking in their eyes, like you had said, makes all the difference. So, so you have a perfect contrast. And that's why I thought you'd be a great guest here because you have a perfect contrast. And if anybody's listening out there about how communication during these difficult conversations can make things worse, like the first person and make things better. But you came out on the other end, and in 2013, the same year, right, you started the Finley Project? Yeah, and if it's okay, I wanted to go back on something you said, because I think it can yeah. really help people. You know, like, I'm really big on the why. Like, why does any of this matter? And we talk about this gift, and some people go, well, why is it a gift? It's just easier to tell it quick, that way they know, and then they can move on, and da-da-da. But what I've seen, and I, I can't claim to be, you know, a clinical psychologist or whatever, but in my own life and then in the families we help is this fact that they're already traumatized by the death itself. And the last thing that they need is to have to go to counseling and, and get support because somebody was cruel or shared with them information that was done in a non-compassionate way. So for me, the reason this is a gift is because, because you're showing them that you're a piece of the compassionate pie in the process. And it really, really is a gift. So I just wanted to elaborate on the why it really is important. And the other thing is like a lot of times, and we talk about this in the training, but in breaking bad news, but some of the families that for us that experience death, or like you said, in a business setting, sometimes people are apprehensive of what's been done to get them to the place that they are. So they're already leery of the institution, the organization, the business. And so if you can be a part of, you know, the good part, the good experience that they have with that institution, then they'll be less likely to retaliate. They'll be less likely to accuse. They'll be less likely to make things more difficult for you on the back end. That's a great point. Even in business, we're going to have a guest, Dr. Larry Barton, who's one of the leading experts in crisis management. And Dr. Barton, in his latest book, actually talks about how human resource people have that conversation with an employee who's being separated and how that can predict in many ways whether that person comes back and becomes violent to the hospital. So I think that's a great point. So now we've gone through this total darkness that you talked about. and. You had the two difficult conversations. How did you get to that point? Because it was the same year. You were able to get through to the other side and started the Finley Project in the same year, correct? Yes and no. So when she died, the reality is I couldn't find any help for somebody like me. And I say like me in quotations, but where does a woman go who's lost an infant that has plenty of great friends and family and and has some resources, but not a lot? But like, where does somebody like me go that can find somebody that's walked that road? And I couldn't find that. And I was just, you want to talk about adding fuel to the fire, that added fuel to the fire. I already felt like 
an outsider to all my friends who were having children. And so now I've lost this child. Now I can't find anybody like me. And so it started me just looking around and researching and calling and things like that for help. And I obviously got my own help, which included counseling and going to support groups. But in that process, that's when I started researching to see what was out there. And that's where I discovered this huge gap. I say there's a huge gap between the hospital and the home because nobody steps into that, I feel, very well. And so that's how the Finley Project started. It started because I noticed a gap between the hospital and home. And so for that next year after her death, I got a lot of help for myself and also started to build a foundation for the organization. So in 2014, the Finley Project launched. And as you shared earlier, we are actually the only organization in the whole country that addresses you know, body, mind, spirit, spirituality, all of it together. So yeah, we started officially in 2014. So I mentioned in the introduction that it's a seven-part holistic program. So tell me more about that. Sure. So the, <laughs> people ask me this question a lot. This, you know, this is all based on my own findings. And what's funny is what I thought was really what people needed isn't what they needed. And initially, all I wanted to do was provide counseling for people because who can afford counseling? I mean, the average person cannot afford 80 to $150 a session. And especially after loss, I mean, it is so needed. But basically, the first person I tried to help, they were not open to counseling at that time. And their response to me was, you know, listen, I've been living in this on-property housing you know, place while my daughter was in the NICU. She's died after three months. And I don't even have food in my pantry. My house is gross. I, I don't care about myself or my body. Like I just, counseling is the last thing I need right this second. So that's what made me take a step back and say, what were all the things that I was a recipient of? What were the things that other people benefited from? And so that's how the seven parts were developed. And what that looked like was helping plan their funeral. A lot of times people don't even know, like, what does a child's funeral look like? So we help plan the funeral. We provide meal gift cards so they can, you know, feed their family. And the next thing we help with is we send out house cleaners to their house. The fourth thing we do is we provide massages just to provide a moment of peace and relaxation. Then we connect them with a support person. So we try to find somebody that has walked um, a similar road and had it somewhat of a similar experience just to be there with them and help them navigate this strange journey. And then the bulk of what we do is eventually get them into licensed mental health counseling. And so we cover 12 sessions. So whether we do it or if they have insurance, we just make sure that they get into counseling and that it's something that's a good fit for them. So yeah, that's the whole program in a nutshell. And I can attest personally what an amazing program it is. I referred when I see a mother who's had a loss, one mother who I've been treating the baby, and that mother's having a, a difficult time, as they all do. Noel knows that I have her cell phone on speed dial, and I call Noel, and uh, Noel takes it from there, and it's amazing things. I go to the Finley Project Gala every year, the fundraising gala, and you do a great thing in that you have mothers who who were in the darkest places that you've helped come and give little 10-minute speeches about how the Finley Project and 
there's usually not a dry eye in the place. And I think that's just wonderful. I'm really interested in the conversation that you have. You know, I call you and I say, Noel, here's a mom who's agreed to have you call her. And then I don't know what happens next. I mean, I know that they get help from you, but boy, that's got to be a really difficult conversation when you call that mom up or offer your help. How do you approach that and how, tell me how that works and give some tips to people. I don't think there's a harder conversation than telling someone that their loved one has died. So if we can learn how to do this, we can do it in any situation. And what that looks like is taking a step back and saying to yourself, I'm about to tell somebody or approach somebody that has gone through the most horrific thing that they can go through. So I need to do it carefully and I need to have a very careful conversation with them. So I think just the fragility of that conversation and knowing that before you go in so that what that doesn't look like is calling when you're driving in the car or calling while you're, you know, playing golf, you know, having this real curt or, you know, quick conversation with them. So for me, when I know I have to talk to a mom, I make sure I'm calm. I'm quiet. Every word does matter even after they've had the loss. And for me, I'm able to relate to them. So I go back to that experience. So I try to put myself back to what I went through. For somebody that hasn't gone through that, I would say just being really open and compassionate and saying just encouraging and empathetic words is really helpful. Yeah, that's that's a difficult conversation to have. Absolutely. You know, you said a couple things that I really want to reemphasize. One is that, you know, you've gone through this and so you share your story with them, correct? I don't know if it's so much share it. I think it's allowing myself to remember what it felt like. I think for people that have to do this, breaking bad news is go back to a time where something bad was said to you or hard was said to you. And how did it feel? Whether it was they did it well or they didn't do it well. And so how would you want it broken to you? Or how would you want that conversation? What would you want that conversation to look like? And to be honest with you, a lot of times, you know, you asked about that first conversation. It typically looks like this. I'll say things like, I cannot even believe that you're having to deal with this. I just don't understand. It sucks. It is awful. I just don't get it. I mean, I because people always ask me, what do you say? I'm like, that's what I say. And then their walls come down because they you're meeting them in a place that's ugly and it's it's not pretty and they they're embarrassed. They finally can say to themselves, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. I'm not embarrassed. Like that I feel so bad. Exactly. And, and I'll say when I speak to parents too, and I've learned from you and from other mothers and family members that I do say that this is terrible. This sucks. I'm not very professional to use that word, but I say it. Yeah. Um, this sucks and you don't deserve this. And it's important to tell them, and maybe you could elaborate on this, that it's not their fault. Some people think there must have been something, you know, through the years I've been doing this, Telling a mother that it's not her fault seems to, you can see a a little relief in their shoulders when you say that, because I've heard different things from, you know, I shouldn't have gone up the stairs so fast, or I shouldn't have worked, uh, stuff that's not rational, but as a mother, you're going to be thinking about that. So just saying and acknowledging that it's not their fault, I think, makes makes a big difference. 
I can elaborate a little more on that. Like, I think it's a lifelong of pressing that guilt down. And I had a mentor tell me at that time, you did everything you knew to do. And he would make me repeat it over and over and over. And what that did was, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty for everybody in every situation. But it made me remember that at that time, I, I picked the best hospital. At that time, I picked the best doctors. At that time, I was as healthy as I knew to be, et cetera. So just repeating that over and over to myself helped a lot. Do you find that people are, that sometimes you have to share your story, that initially people are reluctant to ask you for help, but that once you share your story with them, they maybe feel a little bit more acceptable to getting help. Tell me about that. You know, infant loss, child loss is an elephant in the room. It's people's worst nightmare. And all of us had a hard time trusting anybody after it, whether it was, you know, there was a fault of a physician or if it was just, you know, not trusting life in general. And when I can build that rapport with them and say like, I know your neighbor doesn't understand, but I do on some level, not fully, but on some level, once again, the wall comes down and in your mind, you say, okay, I found one of my people. It's a weird experience, but it's like finding your tribe. And it's a tribe that like, who in the world would sign up for? But once you find it, you're like, ah, I need these people because they get it. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm so passionate, as you know, about helping people communicate better. You said something before that I say all the time, you know, if you can have this discussion, everything else seems to be easy. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my personal story that, you know, once I learned how to have that discussion about a baby who died with a family, and I learned to do that as best as you could, because you're, you're only making a horrible situation, maybe a little bit better. At the very least, you're not making it worse, right? And that's why business people and non-medical people have come to me and say, you know, can you teach us how to communicate? Because it's not bad news, right? You know, I do a lot of work at the Orsini Way with patient experience. Not bad news, just how to build a practice. How do you build rapport with somebody? How do you connect? Well, it's the same concepts of verbal, nonverbal language, showing compassion, even if it's you know, a broken leg or something that's not devastating. So I thought it was interesting that you use that because I say that all the time. If you can, this is the hardest conversation in the world. If you can get through this, you can get through anything. And and then just finishing up, there's so many people out there that are friends and family who maybe avoid that conversation. They don't know what to say to you, right? And there was a book that I read, someone who lost his child, he said, he called it the Bushes effect. He said he noticed that once he lost his baby and his son died, that the neighbors would see him pull into the driveway and jump into the bushes Mm -hmm. because they didn't know what to say. And so for the average person out there who's not dealing with, maybe is not medical, maybe doesn't give difficult conversations or be involved in them frequently, I think you can learn from your experiences from this podcast just you know, when someone dies in your family, what to say and how to say it. And I think that you've given some, some great tips. So I am, I'm in awe of you. You know that, right? So I'm so I'm blessed to know you. I want the Finley project to be available to every mother in the country. I want your project to grow. And because I think it's needed, 
you have shed some light on how much of the conversation can really change your life, both in a positive and a negative manner. And so I just want to say thank you. If people want to learn more about the Finley Project, they can go to www.thefinleyproject.org and contact either Noel directly or someone from the Finley Project if you want to donate. So are, are you looking to expand, Noel? I mean, how, how are we going to make this be nationwide? I mean, you're already in so many areas, but we want to help thousands, not hundreds, right? How can we do that? The best way that people can help the Finley Project would be if you have an area hospital that you have a relationship with is to help us get into that hospital to help educate the physicians and the social workers and, and whatnot to then be able to refer to us. We're solely based in Orlando. So we have one chapter, but the way that our program is, since we use national partners, we're able to help everywhere. We are technically nationwide, but we need more connections within each hospital and hospital system. Fantastic. Well, as you know, I'm a big fan. I want to thank you again. This was an awesome interview. If you liked this episode or you want to learn more about difficult conversations, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You could also learn more about difficult conversations and the Orsini Way and the training that we do by going to theorsiniway.com. So thank you, Noel. Hope to see you soon and stay safe. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.